Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, we've been waiting a little while, but he is here now, I'm delighted to say, after two and a half decades at the very top. Ten times champion National Hunt trainer Paul Nichols is with us in the studio. Paul, great to see you and thank you for coming in. You are, of course, a busy man, and Sunday, invariably one of your busiest days, so I'm very grateful for it. And I would imagine always a bit of a pressure day after all the excitement of Saturday as well. Yeah, Sundays is always a busy day, and I, I was also brought up by David Barnes for telling me Sunday mornings in the office, spend the time talking to all your owners, the owners you haven't spoken to, which I've always tried to do, but yeah. it's got harder and harder and harder now with Sunday racing with so much going on, and Sunday is essentially a busy day. Well, it's great, it's great to see you, great to have you with us. It, it's been another good weekend for you, and it's a, the latest in a succession of good weekends. It seems as though the depth of quality at Ditchard is, is really starting to consolidate now and sort of get you back to where you want it to be. Yeah, we've got some really nice young horses. It's, you know, taken quite a lot of rebuilding, and we'll continue to do so. Um, and it's, you know, you have to be patient. I hardly had any runners in the summer. I think we'd have five winners, something like that, by the middle of October, and we're on 44 now, or 43, I forget what it is. We've had a really good run, but you've just got to be patient and try and, you know, find some really nice young horses and keep building for the future. And we've got so competitive out there at the moment, trainer-wise and buying-wise, and it's hard to get it, get it right, and you've just got to be patient. I mean, I said you, you've been champion <clears throat> trainer ten times because memorably the first time you were champion trainer you got the better of that extraordinary tussle with Martin mm. Pike which was kind of the, the narrative mm. of the first part of your career in a way. Do you feel more competition now? Are there more better trainers now than there were back then? Yeah, there are, without a shadow of doubt. And, and most of them have been through my hands and Nicky Henderson's hands of the recent. As you look at you know Dan Scout and Harry Fry, um, Anthony Hunnibal, I think, is very good, and the lads have been through Nicky, and obviously Colin Tizard is an exception. Well, Joe spent 10 years with me. You know, all those people have got quite a lot of ties to, to ditch it, really, which I'm really proud of, but it's made it very, very competitive. But that's only good for the sport, really. Do you ever, do you ever think you taught them too well? Uh, JP once said to me, it was a great comment, he said, remember, young man, teach them well, but don't teach them everything you know. And it's a really good comment. Um, but I, I can't help myself, really, because I'm, I'm always quite open. So, you know, if they've been spent time in Ditcher with me and Clifford, they're, they're hopefully going to learn an awful lot. You mentioned <coughs> your, your openness. You, you're quite a heart-on-sleeve sort of mm. person, aren't you? you? Everything's out there. Mm. If you, if you want to say something, generally speaking, you'll say it. And people like that strikes me, they either get on very well in life or they get on mm. incredibly badly. What's your secret to having got on well calling a spade a spade if you need to. It's just got to be positive and just aim forward. You know, we get lots of setbacks during this game and, and in life you've just got to be positive and look forward. And I've always tried to be a positive person. Um, you know, you often put your head on the block and often get chopped off, but you've just got to be positive. And, and everyone around you, I always feel, is positive then, from the horses to your staff and hopefully everyone with you. And who, who do you think gave you that confidence as a person initially? Um, I, I presume, there are lots of people really, but I presume that as much as anything, because he's got a positive guy, same as me, you know, he, he never holds back, and um, I suppose, you know, that's, that's come out of me, and, you know, lots of people have helped me, I mean, probably from the business and setting up training, Paul Barber's probably helped me more than anybody, Hall, he, he was a great businessman, he's been a great friend, and he, he so many things he, he said to me along the way when I started have just always, you know, helped me, you know. What um, sort of thing? Well, um... One of the first things he's always said to me, remember, it's a business. First and foremost, what you're doing is running a business, and lots of people rely on you for their livelihood and everything. So you've got to make your business work, and everything else will follow. And I always used to say, you know, um, 
always be positive, as I've ever said, isn't it? One of his great things, any decision is better than no decision. Just make a decision. Just that he's always been there to help with little ideas, you know, and, um, and it's, it's, he has been a big help to me in, in lots of ways, not just, you know, with the, with, the biz, with the horses, but just as helping me be positive in what I do and, and running a business. Because it's the famous story that you wrote to him when yeah. he put an advert yeah. in, the, in the paper saying he had a vacancy for a, a training yard, which was yeah. how many boxes just to handle? Was, I think there was 28 boxes there at the time. 28 yeah. boxes, and you wrote to him, and you, know, you mm. were retiring from riding, mm. and could I come and do this? Yeah. You were obviously something of a self-starter to be able to take the initiative to do that. Well, I, I, I had broken my leg, um, and I'd spent two years as, as assistant to David Barons and Jenny Barons down in, in Devon, and we just won the Grand National with Seagram, and I'd had instrumental in helping and being part of that team. And I really enjoyed the, that side of it ever more than I did riding. Um, and I just felt after Seagram won the National, I was probably, Kingsbury's gone as far as I was going to go, and I, I, I wanted to, to start training. Obviously, I had no money at all, I didn't know quite how to do it. And, I was just kept reading, picking up the Racing Post every day, and one, one I think Saturday morning, uh, Dad ran me and said, have you seen the advert in the Racing Post, or Sport and Life, whatever it was, and there was this box in a yard in Ditchit, 28 boxes, and it said successful applicant would have the su support of the landlord, and that was Paul Barber. So I was on the phone, I, I must have phoned him at half past seven in the morning, and the first thing he said to me, what kept you? <laughs> and I said, well, I've, I've just literally opened the Racing Post up, and I was up there the next day, and... Uh, um, spent um, you know the morning with Paul and said convinced him that in your dreams one day I'll be champion trainer and there's, there's 20 boxes here now and if I could do it right I'll be 100 boxes I've never trained a, a winner but I'm going to make it work and I don't know luckily enough he saw something in me that say take it on it's funny, I can see you smiling and, and almost grinning mm. at the memory of it, as if, as if you, that was a really important moment for you, a sort of epiphany in your life, that suddenly you, you sort of felt, this is, this is what I'm destined to do. Well, a completely life-changing thing for me to, to start there. Um, if I hadn't, that hadn't come up, and, you know, I don't know where I'd have been, and it was just one of those things that it snowballed from nothing to where we are now, and it was, that was the most important thing that's ever happened to me, being able to go to ditch it. I mean, you say how happy you felt suddenly be, being mm. a trainer and you'd enjoyed mm. being involved with Seagram and preparing him for the Grand National. Is, was that a sharp contrast to how much you didn't enjoy being a jockey, in a sense? Well, the, the hardest thing when I was riding was obviously I struggled with my weight and I mean, literally used to eat nothing and it, it was just like it used to get you down. And I think it was 31 and 32 years ago yesterday I won the Hennessy Gold Cup. Yeah. And I think the first year, it was 10, 5 or 6, and the second year might have been 10 stone 8. And there I'd spent is. sort of like two or three months literally not eating, sweating. And it, you, and it was it was nice to ride with good horses like that, but I just hated every minute because of the, the, the dieting and the, and the not eating. And once I had to pack up because I broke my leg, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's why I called my, my book actually Lucky Break. It was yeah. the fact that if I hadn't broken my leg, I may not have been training. It must have driven you crackers. Uh, in the head, dieting for, it, it, for prolonged it, 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 periods of time. It, it, I mean, how did you keep yourself in, in, in sort of one piece mentally? Just the thought of riding the odd horse like this and broad teeth and the, the few that I had to ride for David and Jenny and, and working hard, really. And, um, I mean, it was, it, to be honest, I always thought it, it, it's like I always used to think to myself, you're permanently feeling ill. Mm. That's how it was, and no energy. But somehow you got out there and... You, you know, you wouldn't, I couldn't do those lightweights very often, perhaps once or twice a week. Really, 11 stone to 11 stone 5 I found easy, but anything under 11 stone I really had to really struggle at, and you couldn't have done that every day. Those early <clears> days <throat> at, at, at Ditchit, would you look back on that now and, and think they were some of the happiest times you've had? Um, 
I mean, they were hard to start with because mm. I, I literally end, had nothing to start with. I, 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 I think I put everything I had sort of made right, in, which wasn't a lot, into the business and worked hard and that, had to make it work. And the first nine years were really tough, um, which anybody starting up a business is, is going to be hard. And, um, you know, I was always in a hurry and it, it wasn't, you know, happening. I remember the first seven or eight years I was training going to Cheltenham. Coming back from Cheltenham, mad because I not had a winner. And he looked, and I think, well, no wonder I didn't have a winner with horses. You're running, you're trying to, you know, run horses. And I was just in too much of a hurry. It was always training some nice winners, but it wasn't until '99 really, the flagship Uber, Alice, Call Equinome, and Seymour Business when those three big races it all changed. You see, this is really interesting because <clears> I, I remember that time pretty well. And everybody thought you were the next big thing. You mm. were the up and coming. Mm. You were doing really well. You were up there in the mm. sort of top five mm. or ten of the trainers. You were inching your way up. But was it the case that in your own mind you were thinking, I'm not doing well enough, yeah. I need to be I need to be at the top already, I need to be at the top oh, already? Yeah, definitely. I was, you know, I wanted to be, you know, yeah, of course you do. That's what drives you, really. In a lot of way in sport is you want to, you want to try and get to the top. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to, first I wanted to train a Cheltenham winner, and secondly I wanted to try and, I had in my mind I'd love to be champion trainer one day. Oh, um, was there anyone kind of calming you down and just saying you're all right, you're all right, you're on the right, you're on the right track, yeah, well, or are you uncalmable? No, not really. Dad and Paul Barber really had, would always say to me. Um, Dad was always enthusiastic like me, and and Paul was always sort of had that common influence on me. Um, but you know, you've got to be enthusiastic and yeah. try hard and, and aim. Um, otherwise, you don't get there. Right? That's all. I've always thought that, and and just hope those good horses come along and. And thankfully, that and when I had Colac and then you know, Flagship Ubralis and Seymour Business, mm. when the, you know the Arkle, the Champion Chase, and the Gold Cup in the week was just like astonishing. Lucky to have them, and that that set, up, set us on the way then, really, because there's nothing like good horses that yeah. get you going and get. And all of a sudden, after that, the phone was ringing, and horses were coming from all directions. This is Seymour Business's mm. Gold Cup. I mean, he was. He was absolutely brilliant from this race for yeah. about another year after this. Yeah. There was a really good yeah. sequence of, of performances yeah. from him. What characterised this horse? Well, he was just tough. He wasn't very big, but he was he was very, very hard. The blinkers transformed him because it made him concentrate, made him brave. You know, he won two King Georges, a couple of Charlie Halls, I think, and, and the Charlton Gold Cup and was placed in the Gold Cup right up until even 13. He was tough and sound, and, he was, you know, he was what I liked. He, you know, he thrived on work. You could get him fit and... You know, this was a great day and great for Mick as well. You know, and, yeah. and obviously Paul Barber, you know, that, that when his ambition coming in the race and all he, he, he everything he's ever done in buying horses is to try and win a win a gold cup. So everybody involved and John Keith Lee was with him. This was a big day. And a muscular ride from Mick Fitzgerald. And at that time he was in his pomp as well. And yeah. there was nobody better around <clears throat> Cheltenham. No, and of course Mick won the champion chase the day before yeah. on call Equinone for us. And you know, Mick was. You know the peak of his career at the time, and um, he's a good friend now. And it was good to have two winners with Mick riding them. When did you think you were a good trainer? Um, it, you don't always think that. You just you, you're positive, and you always think you've got good ideas. You need a good team around you. Um, one of the things Paul Barber has always said to me from the start was, "Delegate, my boy, delegate. You need a good team." Mm. And you sort of put lots of things in together. And the team, I always think, is quite good. It's not just about mm. me. There's a team. I've always said, "Team Ditcher is the thing," and it is about a team. So you need a good team around you to to be good. And you've got to keep having a good team. And that's from horses, owners, staff, jockeys. So you have to have a good team to make sure you're good. 
but you're the one that has to pick the team yeah. and it's your name on the license yeah. and it's you that's having to bear yeah. all the pressure that, that goes yeah. along with it, however, mu- however much fun that is. What do you look for in a person to work with? What, I mean, you, you've got Clifford Baker, for example, who's been your, your essentially your right hand for donkey's years and has been through so many of the good times with you. You brought Dan Skelton on, you've had Harry Fry work for you. What, do any of these people share common attributes that you really warm to in a person? Yeah, they work hard, they're enthusiastic and they want to win. All of those guys, you know, you look at Dan, look at Harry, um, I mean, look at Joe Tizard as well, you know, he's part of their big team, they all want to win, they all want to do it right, which is what Cliff and I have always wanted to do, and Clifford is, you know, been with him 20 odd years or more now, I mean, he's just like me, same age as me, same work ethic, never stops, just wants winners and wants everything to be right. And, and, and have a good team around you and make it all happen for everybody. Are you a hard taskmaster? Yeah, I, I think I probably am. I think because you have to be, because it's, it's a hard ta- The whole thing's a hard. You have to work hard. Um, you, you want things to do right, so you have people around you that want to work hard. And all those guys we mentioned are all hard workers. And yeah, because you, know, you want it done right. If you're working hard 24-7, you want it done right. But I guess, I guess the environment that you have to create in a racing stable now is very different mm. from the environment that you went into when you were 16, 17, yeah. 18. It'd be worlds apart, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, totally different. Um, now, I mean, it started with those days, and no one trained so many horses. We were all mm. training, you know, a lot more horses. I think in the days of Fred Winter and Fort Wall and Fred Ryman, all those guys probably trained 50 or 60 horses. We're all now training 130, 140 horses, which is, which is a big thing. Um, so yeah, it is a lot harder, but you, you never stop learning how to make, adapt and make things work. You have to keep, keep learning all the time. And presumably you have more, kind of respon- more pastoral responsibilities towards your staff than, than they did in those days as well. You're going to have to look after them yeah. more, more fully and consider their hours and consider you know, how, you're, how you're working them, etc. Yeah, yeah, you do. You, you know, I'd leave Clifford to really look after the staff as much as anything. Harry, who's my assistant, Harry Durham, they sort of deal with the staff because I've got enough really on my plate dealing with the horses, the owners, the entries, decorations, which I do myself. Um, so I've got plenty to do all the time, probably spend more time in the office than I probably should. But if you've got a good team around you, everyone knows what's happening, you can spend that little more time picking races, choosing races, looking at horses and doing things and making everything happen. Um, but yeah, you have to look after your staff and um, uh, you know things change a little bit. Obviously, we, we're all trying to help them do a little bit less hours, but with horses, and in particular with racing every day of the week now, it's a hard job. You have to work hard. It's not so easy. You know, we don't get weekends off or two days without any racing. There's racing every single day of the week now, and you have to horses have to be ridden early every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Now you've you've had a, a number of different jockeys ride a few down the yeah. years, and I think it's fair to say, Paul, you've you've always had a reputation as being a man who it's occasionally been quite tricky yeah. to ride for. You had a brilliant relationship with with Ruby really, Wall yeah. for a long time, of course. Um, is that just because you want perfection 100% of the time? Yeah, you do, but, um, you know, I thought you'd probably mention this. Um, it, it's quite hard, but you also have owners, a lot of owners with an awful lot of opinions behind mm-hmm. you, and I always find over the years that the owners hang behind the trainer. So I'm the one who always has to, you know, press the gun, fire the gun, is it? Everyone else is loading the bullets. And the trainer, you know, in effect, you have to, you have to be positive, but you've got someone behind you, you know, saying, and, and one of the hardest things over the years has always been with, in the training of the horses, jockeys, and trying to keep everybody happy. Mm. Of course, now I'm in a little bit stronger position. I can sort of 
say what's happening a little bit. But you know different people want different things. Um, Ruby and I had an amazing time for 14 or 15 years. That worked really, really well. And I was going well and I was getting stronger than he was. And, you, mm. you know, people couldn't argue too much. But some, sometimes over the years, owners do put you in a really impossible situation and I end up getting all the flack for it. But actually you're being brave. I'll give a great example. I won't mention any names. One day, one of my biggest owners a few years ago, um, somebody, I think, had a fall or something happened, and he said, I don't want him ever to ride for me ever again. That is it. And but two minutes later, one of the press guys was asking him, what do you think of the ride? He just go, oh, he's just a young man. We've got to look after him. You know, we've got to give him lots of chances. Everyone's got to support him. Having two minutes beforehand said to me, I never want him to ride for, you, for me again. And so that is a situation that happens quite a lot. The people do too. They're brave and they say what's going to happen, but they always hide behind you. And I, you, you know, you have to be brave and make decisions because if you don't make a tough decision, it all falls apart. Mm. And so sometimes you've got to be positive, and you come over actually being harder than you actually are. And I don't like some the situations sometimes that you get yourself put into. But you have to be positive and strong and just go with those decisions. And, you know, it's, it'd be fair, it's worked really well. Like Sam, the situation with Sam was sort of blown out of all proportion, really. Some of the owners wanted to use Harry Cobden. Some of them didn't want Sam. Some did want Sam. So you can't be in that sort of situation. Um, and Sam had a good job for his dad and was always going to do well because he, he was going to go freelance. And I had to make a decision because it's no good having, you know, every weekend having a fight with a jockey. So Harry had been with me since he was 16. Yeah. And I thought, let you know, it's a lot easier. Harry's going to be basically number one, and we use Sam when we can. And that's sort of suited to everybody. But I have to make that decision, really. Um, mm. And it works quite well supporting those youngsters. I, I like Brian and him, and I, I love giving all those youngsters a chance and, and getting them going. And um, essentially, you're going to make mistakes, and, but you, you know, they're doing really, really well. And it's, it, works every, it works well for everybody, but you have to, I have to be strong and stick with those decisions, even whatever flack I get. I just have to stick with it. Because at the end of it, the drive is to keep that enterprise yeah. moving yeah. to the level that you want to keep it at, and you're not yeah. going to let anything yeah. compromise that, that, that standard. And also, but also try and keep everybody happy. You have to try and keep everybody happy, you know, all your owners and everybody. You have to try and keep everybody happy as best you can. And I think it was like last weekend, I was delighted for Sam to win in Politolog last week and to give him some good rides. And, you know, he's doing well, and he'll always do well, and he will always ride for us. And he'd be the first person I'll go to when I need somebody, you know, because he's a good jockey. He's a, he's a, I consider him a good friend. And, yeah. But, you know, he'll do well, and he, he's the first one I could. So last weekend for him to win on that was good. And are you quite good at separating your human relationships with people with your business relationships with people insofar as you can like somebody as a person, mm. but if it's not working out between you professionally, it's not working out between you professionally. Yeah. Are you quite good like Are you quite, not ruthless is the wrong word, but are you quite clinical like that? Well, you have to be, but as I said earlier, you have people driving in, in your ear behind yeah. you. You know, and I've had some really strong opinions over the last few years, and sometimes I stick up for the jockeys more than probably I should, but they don't ever get to know that, and it ends up having a fallout. And, you know, sometimes you look at Oh, Nichols doesn't train for him anymore, Nichols doesn't train for him anymore, but nearly all the time it's because they have different opinions with jockeys. And I, I, I do stick by them more, as I said, more than I probably show. Um, but, you know, I, I like to think that I've helped an awful lot of jockeys along the way, in a big way. How much would you care about hanging on to a really tricky owner now? If somebody was giving you a whole heap of grief but had a whole load of well, money it, to spend? It, it, I just, it just it wouldn't work, because you don't work hard and... and 24-7 and keep getting grief, it's just not worth it. I mean, and if they're not part of the team and don't want to be part of the team, there's no point having them. Because, you know, as I said earlier, it's a big team yeah. thing. And if they're not on board with you, 
it's pointless. And you want them to be happy for the yeah, other, exactly, other reason, for everybody. Yeah. And so, as it is now, it works really, really well. If someone's not happy with you or what's happening, then they're better off somewhere else. Here's an interesting observation. You've been champion trainer ten times, and for much of the last decade, you've been talking about rebuilding because you don't have mm. the demons, the quarters, mm. the big bucks, the masterminded. But in at least six of those ten years, you've been, or seven of those ten years, you've been, you've been champion trainer. So you've been at the top, mm. yet you don't even think you're at the top because no. you aren't at the top where you were ten years ago. Can you ever get there, or is that just a golden spell of horses that you'll never replicate? Uh, that, that never uh, happened again, but having those in that front yard at one time, it was just astonishingly lucky, and they were amazing horses. Um, and to be honest, you've got those horses, you, you, you've won the trainer's championship by the end of February because yeah. they win three or four grade ones and one or two, and the others are all going well. Um, you're fine. It was the, the tough times so of the last three or four years. You have a battle with Willie Mullins with Nicky. When it goes down to the last day, then you, have, you, know, you have to do everything right. And, and you know, if you want to win, be champion trainer, you have to you know, fire your bullets in the right races all the time. All right, so what gives you more satisfaction? Does it give you more satisfaction to have these supreme equine athletes who are going to put you miles clear of all your rivals? Or do you, do you like that bit come the end of April where you're right in the scrap and you get the better of the scrap at the last, <laughs> at the last stride, like Sandown or the Atri yeah. that time with Neptune Cologne. I have to say a bit of both, really. Um, the, 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 the battle with Willie Mullins up to that last day a couple of years ago when, like, the weekend before the end of the season, Nicky, um, Willie was 8-1 on and I had no chance and we suddenly won the Scottish National and it was all down to the last day. Those are good. I really enjoy that. But, this, the, but to be honest, if you said to me, would I like to be champion trainer again or would I like to have a Cordo star and a Denman again, I'd definitely rather have a quarter star in the Denman because they're just that's just incredible to have those type of horses. They were just a bit special, weren't yeah. they, in their, in their different ways? And, and the, it's a bit. This is a little bit unfair on poor Corto Star because this is the time when Denman thumped him. But um, it, it was a an extraordinary race, the 2008 Gold Cup, as much for the build-up as for the aftermath, if, if you remember. Yeah. But, I mean, just look at those three horses there, what they did for me, Denman, Corto, and Neptune Clons, a mm. grand national winner. Neptune won two great ones in Ireland. Corto, well, his record is astonishing, and so was Denman. I mean, they're never going to have a horse three like that in the yard ever again. They were just so incredibly lucky. They were just amazing horses, and God almighty, you know, did we have some fun with those. I mean, so, so lucky to have ever had those. And, um, Hopefully we'll get some. We will get some good ones back. We're never going to have the same number like that ever in the yard at one time again. And these are these are you know immortal horses yeah. essentially. This is the nearest you get in terms of concentration of quality in one yeah. yard to the, the horses that Fred yeah. Winter had during the mid nineteen seventies yeah. essentially, you know, isn't it? And you put Masterminded and Big Bucks in amongst those, um, and there were others. They were just amazing. You know, a lot of horses. Um, then Silver Narco Conti came along. So um, was that freakish or? Is it the case now that it's just harder for you to get your mitts on the very best horses? I think at some and some, really. I mean, obviously, it, 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 we were incredibly lucky. Anthony Bromley was had a big part of it at the time, and I was sort of number one client then. And there weren't too many people buying French horses, and I was lucky to have you know, people that would buy those horses. But then again, Denman, he came along just by luck in a lot of ways. So you can, it can work in every a different way, but we just were incredibly lucky to have that team of horses. And I suppose a few years ago, Willie's had a team like that. Mm. You know, and, you know you, it does happen, but to get the next lot, it's not quite so easy. I mean, yeah, listen, you've cha you, you change your jockeys, you, 
you've changed your blood location as well, mm. essentially, because Anthony doesn't buy as many mm. for you as he, as he used to. Is, has that had a significant impact, do you think? Yeah, well, Anthony um, was obviously buying a lot of horses for Simon and a lot of other people, and the more success he had, then everybody wanted to go go to Simon, uh, to Anthony, and, you know, he, he's still a good friend, and I've trained for a million of mine, and he has, I've got a horse he bought from me back along in the, in the autumn for Andy Stewart, which was good. But things just evolve and change the same in most sport. If you look at motor racing, look at football, Everything changes and teams change and managers team. It, it, it is always a bit different, and you can't stand still in this game. You've always got to be looking for that next little edge. And you know, Tom's essentially bought most of them recently. Tom Malone. Along, Tom Malone, along with other people. And now, you know, the things are, like the other day we had five winners at Wincanton, which Tom had bought all five. Mm. So it's just beginning to work out now. But it's, we're buying a different type of horse now to what we were in. Anthony was in those days able to buy Quarter Star, Neptune Clones, Big Bucks, Masterminded, because they don't come on the market anymore. You know, they'd had three or four runs. They, you knew they were good if we got it right. But now you have to buy them after one run or being placed in a maiden hurdle. and It's a big risk because who knows 12 months line, down the line whether that form's worked out or not. So it's, it's a different playing field now to what it was when we were buying those. Could you ever see yourself not training racehorses? Could you ever envisage a day when you got up and you didn't have to go and look at horses? In a word, no. Do you think you'll do this until... Well, I just enjoy it. I mean, I'm probably, enjoy, I'm, funny enough, I'm enjoying it more now than I've done for the last three or four years. It's, why is that? We've got a good team. We've just, Cliff and I changed a few different things which we at home, we keep doing that works. We've put in some new facilities, always invested in the facilities. Um, and we've got some really, really young horses, some lot of, what I call enthusiastic younger owners, which is good. And I don't know why, I just really, really enjoying it at the moment. And I, I do enjoy, I get a lot of pleasure actually after seeing Sam doing well, seeing Harry uh, Cobden doing well, Bryony doing well, and all those young jockeys doing well with us as well. I presume, I, presumably Harry Derham, your assistant, Harry, yeah. also your nephew, because yeah. it's not always easy to no, work with, no. with your own family or, no. or to because you know, it's a difficult kind of relationship to manage it, sometimes. It is, and it obviously Harry, works well between you guys. Yeah, Harry works hard. Um, he's a very good lad, and he, he you know, he, he, he's good. And Megan's now more and more involved. She's back in digits. She's helping out as well. That's not always easy, you know, when you've got like, your nephew and your daughter work. But that, they actually get on well, and Megan's playing a bigger part in it now, which is good, and it'd be nice to get her a little bit more involved. Um, and, um, no, it's good. Do you think she'll train in her own right at some point? I'm not sure she's that keen on training. She loves riding on the flat at the moment when she can. She loves riding out here, and she's been going racing a little bit for me. She enjoys it, but she hasn't... I'm not sure. Perhaps one day she might, but at the moment I wouldn't say it's top of her priorities, no. See, I've known you for a long time, and it always just strikes me you're, you're a restless person in a good way, but you will never settle. You'll never just go, ah, yeah, lovely, I've, uh, I've done it now, thanks very much. Do you think that's fair? It is, but you can't. You have to. The minute you do that, it'll all just fall around you, and you stand still. If you want to, you know, be competitive and stay somewhere near the top, and you know, keep training lots of winners and compete with these younger guys, you you can't be like. You've got to keep, you know, being positive and keep working and keep keep going. And do you think that kind of constant movement is essentially what sustains you as a person? What what keeps you happy? You have to be on the go, on the go, on the go, and then you're at your happiest. Yeah, and and you know, training winners. And seeing people get enjoyment from training winners, the owners, you know, yeah. the pleasure they get. They're like the guys yesterday that smoke the syndicate, high cleft syndicate that own Postrish. The pleasure they got from them yesterday is like you can take a stand back and look at them all in the winners' enclosures. So happy that I enjoy that seeing them do so well. So that's the point. You actually think, yeah, I've I've actually done my job all right here. Yeah, it probably is. 
um, and, and that those guys really enjoy the whole thing, and that's what you're trying to do. You know, people invest a lot of money in the racing, a lot, of, and they, to, for them to be able to enjoy it and have days like yesterday is what I, I do and get a lot of pleasure out of that. As I said, I get a lot of pleasure out of seeing the jockeys do well, the young jockeys are doing particularly well. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai.